0: Welcome to the Wealth Building Made Simple podcast with Philip Washington Jr. Today, Philip talks with Doug Janowski of Lazier Capital about employee stock ownership plans. and now here's Philip
1: we are back with another episode of wealth building made simple and today I got a special guest Doug janowski yes what's going on Doug thanks for having me <laughs> good
2: on. morning good to see you again oh, go ahead and introduce
1: yourself to the people like who you are where you're from and what do you what do you do
2: sure so uh, Doug janowski um, I'm with lazier we're a advisor investment bank that specializes in um, ESOP advisory, structure, uh, feasibility, and formation. So we work with business owners and advisors like yourself um, to understand if employee ownership via an ESOP is the right succession plan for an owner, if it matches their goals, if what they're trying to do, etc. I always like to tell people we're not out there trying to convince everyone to be an ESOP, but uh, I think you and I, in our conversations, know that there are people out there who don't know about these or understand how they work, or they seem too complex. And so, um, really, we just want to make sure that people understand or know this is concept, and then have the opportunity to see if it does match their goals and if it does it tends to match perfectly if not we're always willing to talk to owners about other exit strategies and what might be more like a management buyout or a family transition but uh, we do specialize in employee ownership as a structure or a mechanism for owners who are looking to get wealth out of their business they're reaching that timeline where they're starting to consider what they want to do next
1: awesome and and for the listeners we did a we did about two or three episodes on ESOPs in the last couple of months. So, you know, we're going to lightly touch some of that stuff, but we're going to go deeper. I brought Doug on to cover some deeper topics around ESOPs, but we'll, we'll get started generally. You know, what are some of the financial benefits and overall benefits of an ESOP plan as, as, as opposed to, right and before we go esop is selling to your employees
2: correct employee stock ownership plan mm-hmm. so. <laughs> so so
1: so so that so that benefit as opposed to selling outside what are some of the benefits you you've seen
2: sure so there's a, there's a mm-hmm. few key differences so an esop was actually created in 1974 by congress under the ERISA act there's a more formal name but um, they wanted to give it significant advantages so that more owners would consider selling to their employees. Obviously, that creates more retirement benefits. It keeps communities together. Um, so they gave it two considerable tax advantages. One is that as an owner – If you sell your stock to your employees via an ESOP, there's something called a 1042 exchange, which can get sophisticated in nature, but at its core, it's an opportunity for the owner either to eliminate the cap gain tax on the sale of the proceeds for the value of the business. Um, You can either defer them or using some different strategies. There's ways to eliminate them entirely. So if you sell a $50 million business in Texas to an ESOP or to a third party, you would pay $10 million in taxes cap gains. There are strategies to try to minimize that, but effectively, there's a, a cap gain on it. If you sell to the ESOP, your employees, there's a way to keep all $50 million. So that's the first key tax advantage. The second is that ESOPs are going to want to end up becoming S-corps owned by the retirement plan. The reason being is just like a 401k doesn't pay income tax or cap gains tax. A business owned by a retirement plan as an S-corp, all the proceeds flow through the retirement and it doesn't pay federal or state income taxes. So it becomes a tax-free entity. So the two biggest concepts that are different is that as an owner, I can potentially eliminate the cap gain tax personally personally. And then my business going forward is going to become a tax-free entity in perpetuity. Those are the two biggest ones. And we can talk later about how that's valued, et cetera. But those are Mm -hmm. two of the biggest advantages that were given to this to encourage uh, owners to consider this as a succession plan.
1: Got it. And then one of the things that we talked about in lunch that was a big benefit is like the success rate of a business after it sold to an ESOP as opposed to... Being sold to to an outside entity. Talk, talk more about that.
2: Sure. So um, I would say probably the preeminent resource, if anyone is interested in this and, you know, don't take my word for it kind of thing. Rutgers University uh, has the largest business school program that studies employee ownership. So they do studies about how they fared during COVID, how they fared over 10 year periods, et cetera. Every metric you would suspect comes out positive for employee ownership. They retain employees at a higher rate. Productivity immediately goes up. Uh, retention goes up. Attrition goes down. They were more likely to survive COVID at almost twice the rate as non-employee owned companies. Um, you know everything you would consider, and you know we can talk about data and analysis and all this, but I think everyone knows inherently. Every employee owned business puts it right underneath their logo. They put it on their website. There's a sense of pride. And there's a sense of ownership because they truly are employee owners. Mm. And that doesn't happen immediately. It has to be a continuous conversation with the employees. But after years two, three, four, five, it really builds a culture of this is partly ours. Um, one of our prior clients, I'll share the story. I love it. They made T-shirts for all of their people that said, if I act like I own, I own the place, it's because I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, idea. you know, you, you get these great stories, but I think we all inherently know that, Bringing everybody into the circle is going to make it a healthier business, and people are going to focus on you know the things that are right, even when there's downtimes.
1: Yeah, Absolutely, I, I have I have a few clients that have an ESOP, and one of the ones that I we he's been a client maybe for four or five years. When he first got it, he was like, "Ah, oh, you know, I got this plan right." And then and then the company had like a few really really good years, and and the 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 math for his retirement that it the numbers that it added to it made him like. A true loyal, oh, yeah, you know, believer.
2: <laughs> I've yeah. met people who work for ESOPs that eventually there's one myth out there that they can't be acquired or sold down the road. They can, if as long as it's fair and, and lucrative to the employees as well, because mm-hmm. they're going to end up becoming the owners. Um, but to your point, uh, you know, these things, you know, I've talked to one employee who said, I worked for an ESOP, they eventually sold, and now I'm only looking to go work for an ESOP. Can you send me a list of ESOPs in the in the in the, in the I had an attorney, buddy, and I don't want to you know, he just left his law firm. I said, you never brought me an ESOP candidate, but you sure jumped to one. (laughs) So, um, I won't, but yeah, there's a lot of advantages to it. It's, it's both cultural and it's just a sense of ownership in the business.
1: Okay. So I want to switch hats and talk and and think from the perspective of somebody who might, you know, in the due diligence process, wisely be skeptical. So what are some of the you know misunderstandings or downsides or just the, the the negative perceived aspects of of esops.
2: Correct. The, the esop <laughs> community is a very tight knit group nationally. There's probably about a thousand to fifteen hundred true experts in this field, and for that reason, financial buyers outnumber us ten to one. I mean, there I think there's last I read there's you know five or six thousand private equity and family offices. So there's a lot of myths out there. The number one I would say is. Um, you know this is a good option if if you know you're you're not willing to take the top dollar value for your business and and that is absolutely a number one myth now i think we're all fair when we meet with owners and we always talk to owners that in, in especially in certain industries that a strategic buyer is from a cash standpoint the highest not necessarily from a tax advantage standpoint but just enterprise value but that's because a strategic buyer is someone within your industry their horizontal or vertical integration and they have synergies. Those synergies could be vendor relationships, could be you know overlapping services, but a lot of the times they're also people. I don't need your CFO. I don't need your HR director. I don't <laughs> yeah. need your director of marketing. There's a huge cost savings now. So that for that reason, they have a little bit of a different take on value. Financial buyers, private equity and family office, they're financial buyers. Their whole goal is return on investment. So you think about house flipping. You don't buy a lot of houses above value to flip. You're you're looking for good deals, so there's a financial motivation. Within an ESOP, there's not a financial motivation. The the And we'll talk a little later about the trustee, but the buyer of the business, the person representing the employees, wants to pay full fair market value for your business. So there's not some sort of, hey, I want to buy low, sell high. It's I actually want to buy what it's worth. And then when you add on those tax advantages to the owner of 20% in Texas, 30% in California – Now you're really kind of pushing the edge of how much are you actually getting from it. So that's myth number one. Um, I think a lot of owners are very surprised by the time they get done. And that's where 65% of our clients come from prior owner referrals. Where They're Mm -hmm. like, you really need to look at this. Um, Number two is that I'm going to lose control, that my employees are going to become shareholders and they get to see financial and, you know, wage information. They could sell my company. Absolutely not. In, in 90% of ESOPs, you're going to create a board of directors. The owner is going to put that board together. They're going to pick the board. So everybody on the board is going to be someone the owner picked, and then that board is going to pick the management team. Well, guess who they're going to pick? The existing management team. <laughs> so you're going to have a little more corporate governance, but the employees themselves don't become stockholders. They're allocated shares, which are held in trust. So only the ESOP is actually a shareholder of the business. So operationally, there's a little more corporate governance, but the employees can't see financials. They're, when they retire, the, the ESOP will buy them out, but they never actually become shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, it's held in the retirement. Um, so for that reason, it's one of the things owners are surprised to find is that when they form an ESOP, we always say we're going to have a huge party. 50% of our owners cry. We never know which ones. <laughs> um, and then the next day, you know what happens? Nothing. You just go back to work, but everyone's a little happier. They're working a little harder. They're buying a little less. They're they're watching the expenses. But at the end of the day, we're not trying to take over your business, tell you how to run it. You are a good ESOP has to have that management team and has to be sustainable enough to be run by the employees. So mm-hmm. um, it's a very different concept. But those are the, probably the two biggest the two myths. biggest myths. Yeah. yeah,
1: and and I always think of things in terms of like outside of domain specificity. So. The principle to to me can make sense. And so I I tend to go, you know, a a non-ESOP business, especially with uh, external owners, to me feels like, Britain running America, right, and that did not work as much as when America created a distributed, you know, well, ownership among the people. I don't want democracy. to get
2: into geopolitics of the 1800s, but
1: right, but but the net net effect of wealth or the of the country was better when you had a when you had more ownership amongst the people versus versus a a, a class of elite rentier. So that that that's why I like the ESOP idea. Is I feel like it. Um, like anytime you distribute. Ownership, power, equity, you know, it's – its I haven't seen the case w- where the principle is um, subtractive, right? It's actually very additive.
2: Yes. yes. So just to kind of add to your point, Exit Planning Institute, one of the national, you know, exit planning organizations, did a survey of owners and 75% of owners who sold to a third party reported profoundly – that's their word, profoundly regretting it within – or 75% for profoundly regretted it within one year. Mm. So this idea that I'm an entrepreneur, I've built something, then all of a sudden I become sort of what it might be termed a quasi-employee. I've got some work agreement. I'm reporting to someone else, et cetera. Things are being changed that maybe I wouldn't have changed and so forth. To that point, though, that's also why ESOPs tend to kind of lean towards businesses that have very strong relationship needs, Where the owner, let's take construction, engineering, where if the owner were to leave, a lot of those relationships or the key management were to leave would go away. So the owners that do attract to this are ones that, you know, they understand that and they want to transition it to their people and so forth. So – Exactly what you're saying. You keep all these things intact that you may or may not. I'm not saying all. You know, we're using the eighty twenty rule here. Right, right? Right, you know, right. There's exceptions to everything.
1: A- exceptions to. Everything. <laughs> and, and you answered my next question. But we can elaborate more on it. it was going to be what? What are the types of businesses? You know that 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 are best for it. And you kind of hit on the nail. Businesses where relationships matter. Uh, any any other you know, specifics of a business that that you think.
2: Yeah. Exists. So there's a couple of things and we're always up front with owners. There's a couple of things that an ESOP typically is not, again, there's exceptions to everything, but in, in 90% of the cases, it is not an all cash transaction. So uh, if you're an owner and you're looking to cash out, you're done. You have no succession plan in place, et cetera, and you want to sell it to someone to run it and take it over. It's not, you know, you want all your cash up front. It is not that. Mm-hmm. Um, two, the business is is the golden goose, right? Like the future earnings of these businesses is what's going to pay for all these magical things, retirements for the employees, etc. So, if you have a business and you're concerned about the future, or it's you know it's in distress, etc., that's not it. These mm-hmm. tend to be. More so now, anything can be an Aesop, but we don't see it as much in this hockey stick, you know, software or these mm-hmm. things that have these hockey stick projections. Because mostly those owners want to, you know, get paid. They may not even be profitable yet, but they want to sell for a twenty time multiple yeah. or something.
1: And everybody's begging to give them. Yeah, everybody's
2: begging. <laughs> exactly. These tend to be, for the most part, they tend to lean towards. Um, you know, blue collar, hands in the dirt kind of jobs because they're highly profitable. They grow at you know a solid three five percent every year. They almost have no debt, and. In many of these cases, and I don't mean to be, but a lot of times the kids don't want to run it. They want to be doctors and lawyers, wealth advisors. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they they don't want to become an. They don't want to run Dad's electrical contracting business, even though it made the family extremely wealthy. They don't want to run the concrete business. They don't want to run. They don't want to be an engineer and run the engineering firm. So it tends to be these very, and, and then also in those industries, those tend to be people who really like what they do. Yeah, they like their people. They like their customers. They're not out there trying to sell, you know, the newest SaaS product and, you know, do a hockey stick type of thing. Again, could be an ESOP if mm-hmm. you meet the right owner. But in most cases, it's those really second, first, you know, 20, 30-year businesses, second, third generation. And finally, at some point, they realize my succession is these folks. And I want to lock them in and I want to start incending them as a process. So, sorry. Okay. Went a little long there.
1: No, no, no. That was, that was good. <laughs> so, so how's the valuation of a, of a business determined from, a, from an ESOP? Or actually let's let's take a step back. Sure. Let's talk about the process of yes. like the, the ESOP process. So, you know, and you and I know there's a lot of detail, but like what are the main steps of the ESOP?
2: Yeah, uh, so it, you know, it, and I can only speak from the way we sort of approach this, but we usually just have a conversation with the owner. Most of our owners tend to be in that 60-70 years, so we don't use Teams and Zoom cuz they don't love that. <laughs> They'll do it, but they don't love it. So, we find it's best to have a phone call and we just talk to them about what are you know, what are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals? What have you already researched on the internet? I always tell my owners that's a little like webMD, you know, half the time it's going to give you the right answer and half the time it's going to tell you you're dying, go to the hospital. So, <laughs> what have you found so far? And then that conversation will usually go 20 to 30 minutes, in which case I'm explaining to them, you know, this is a management buyout or this is your – you know, you need a – my buddy who owned a cabinet company said, I don't have anyone to run it. I want to play golf every day and I want all my money now. And so I said, let's get you to a broker, right, to sell your (laughs) business. Um, You're not an ESOP. Or it will go an hour and a half and they say this accomplishes what I really want. just had this conversation yesterday with an owner and he's like – I love my people. I love what we do. You know, my son's coming up in the business, but he's not there yet. Um, but I want to see how we can keep him. And it, it will, we can we can do all those different machinations. Um, so did that answer your
1: question? So we got the phone call to figure out. Oh, yeah, out phone call. Fit, yeah, And
2: the next step. Then if the, we think it's a good step, then we do a full deep dive. We want the owner to fully understand all the visual parts and pieces. And by that point, they're like, okay, I want to spend an hour and a half, two hours and, and really understand this. Mm-hmm. If that goes well, then you move into what's called a feasibility analysis, which is where our team, valuation experts, attorneys, CPAs, We do a full deep dive into the business. We can usually do that with just the owner and the CFO, so it's not highly disruptive. Mm -hmm. And we go through and we look at what we see the valuation of the business. We have three valuation experts on staff. We do a valuation of the business. We look at financing. We know all the banks. And by the way, most of the banks have ESOP lending teams or credit groups that know us. We know them. We don't say the name of the business, but we explain what we're kind of working on and and we see what lending is available. So at the end of that process, when we present to the owner – We're presenting, this is the value we see for the business. This is the financing terms. This is what it's going to be based on on your forecast. Everything goes back to the owner's forecast. So we do the feasibility. If the owner then decides to move forward, then we're engaged. We only represent owners. We're only sell side. And then you're going to go through about a five to six months process where we will work with you directly to – negotiate you get to interview your trustee you get to pick your trustee they're going to hire their valuation firm to represent the employees we're going to go into negotiations to come to full fair market value we're going to go over plan design every owner wants it designed a little differently based on the makeup of their employees now it has to you know fit ERISA rules and and make sure you know it, it doesn't trip anything but we're there to help them through that so phone call deep dive feasibility and then engaged The nice thing is our our engagements, we almost have a 100% close rate because you're not negotiating across the table. Depending on what you read, 66% or more of uh, third-party transactions fail. So you go through this year-long process. They're talking to your employees. They're talking to your vendors. They're talking to your customers. And it's this huge due diligence because you're you're adversarial. You're buying across the Mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. In this case, everyone's decided this is an amazing business, and we all want to create an employee-owned company. So Yes, there's a negotiation and they have to represent the employees as a fiduciary, but everyone wants an employee business for a fair value.
1: It, it, it sounds to me, and I know it's different, but the feel of it sounds very similar to setting up like a retirement plan. We're, we're in, in, in context <laughs> where, you know, if, if you look at the details of setting a retirement plan, it's it's very complex. But but as a wealth manager, my job is to client, What's the, what, what are your needs? Let me get you with the right third-party administrative record keeper, you know, they're going to educate us on the process. They handle the transition. They'll hold your hand through. So it it seems like a, I mean, it's a long process, but it seems like a complex process, but that's what you're paying for.
2: Yeah. Well, you're, you know, there's two aspects to it. Well, more than that, but two aspects that, yes, absolutely. You're establishing a retirement plan. So you've got to go through plan design. You've got to go yeah. through all these different things with a TPA and with the trustee, et cetera. But the other half of that is it is actually you know a sale. We are an investment yeah, bank yeah, and yeah. we're representing the owner in making sure they get full value for the business. We're making sure they get the best lending terms. We're making sure not only the company gets a good ESOP, but we're also working with the owner at the same time because of these ta- their tax advantages and their wealth mm-hmm. advisor, their estate planners to make sure they're also preparing for this liquidity event, right? Mm-hmm. So over the next five, six years, the owner is going to be bought out and they're going to have this you know all this wealth that they ne- they've never had cuz most owners their their wealth is tied up in their company. Oh yeah. So, you know, wealth advisors were taught diversification from day 1, right? But it's always portfolio diversification, stocks, bonds, real estate, you know, all these different things. But yet most owners you meet 90% of their wealth is in the company mm-hmm. and they're looking for some mechanism to start getting it out of the business, getting it to their wealth advisor, getting it into things that are going to sustain them and their family for the next, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 30, you know, whatever in, in perpetuity. Um, so there's two aspects to any stuff. There's both the company outcome and the owner outcome. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of moving parts, but I to mean, your point, that. there is definitely a retirement plan being set up.
1: Well, and and, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I'm more parallel than it with just like an owner that might be hearing it and might say, oh, this seems overwhelming, and I'm going, it's not that overwhelming because you have people helping you through the process. <laughs> yes. that, 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 that's more like the retirement plan. The first time I went through the process and heard about it, I was like, man, this seems super complex. <laughs> but then you actually go, you 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 hire the team, and you go through it. I'm like, oh, okay, this is, they handle the complexity. They just make it, they, they break down to me what I need to know to make the decisions, and they know all the rules, but I don't got to know all the rules. Because that's what I'm paying for. That's that, that's more...
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I always say there's this myth that ESOPs are complex, and then I say, yeah, that one's true. Um, <laughs> they're complex, but, you know, our role, and I think any of our owners that have been through this say, yeah, this was a lot, but... We take on, you're going to need company counsel to represent you as an ERISA attorney. Now they're not going to become your attorney, but yeah. you know, you need someone to work with your CPA directly because you're going to need to know basis in the company. You're going to need to know different things. Um, you need to work with the wealth and estate advisors. You're going to have to have a TPA to administer the plan. So these things are there. And then on the buy side, you know, you're going to interview trustees and pick a trustee and evaluation. So there's a lot of parties involved, Mm -hmm. but the right advisor should be there to represent you and make sure everyone's on track and everybody is, you know, by the time we get towards the end, I mean, we have weekly calls with all the advisors, not the owners, but making sure, you know, bank, are you ready? You know, TPA, are you ready? Has everyone got trustee? Are you ready? Has everyone got what they need Mm -hmm. to successfully come to this? So you know, a lot, it's complex, but then you talk to someone who's been through a third party financial transaction and the due diligence, Q of E's, and, you know, customer concentrations, and I want to dig through, you know, all your funny, mm-hmm. it, it, they actually, like there's this complex too. And yeah, yeah, you yeah, could spend yeah. weeks and months on reps and warrants because they're going to, like, you know, anything in here, I want to make sure, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they um, got, got, so,
1: got the attorneys <laughs> on it.
2: Exactly. You, you're
1: right. And I'm probably speaking from the yeah. perspective of a of a wealth manager where, after doing this so long, this stuff just seems like, you know, you just be like, I oh, just get the right team. I like, just get the right team. Yeah, well, just get, the uh,
2: right team. <laughs> get the right team. But I think you know what? When we when we talked last, um, wealth advisors tend to be in in my area. They bring most of the the owners to us because mm-hmm. they've got these owners and they love. Again, they love what they do, and so they kind of have this idea. Well, I'm going to go until the year before I die before I sell this. <laughs> And, and unfortunately, you know you can't really time that. <laughs> so for a lot of them, this becomes an estate planning mechanism where, especially their spouses and their going, hey, if you pass, you know your your people have no tie into this, and mm-hmm. I don't know how to run your company, right. I don't know how to sell your company. You put this in place, and then the first question we ask owners is, what is the next? You know, what is your goals year wise? And for a lot of them, it's five to seven years, and that's about the timing of an ESOP and so we can begin to do that while you still run the business and are involved yeah. in it you can be involved in it hundred percent you can be involved in it you know dig, you know going down twenty percent per year or you could be completely out of it already maybe your management team's already running it for you and you're not even there you could do any of those all we have to be able to do is prove that your five year forecast is sustainable based upon whatever that looks like so so, so, let, so let
1: me ask this yeah. question this this will this will be good to like you know, bring bring it to the end. Let's 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 say you have an owner. I'm gonna use your buddy you reference as an example, not him specifically, but that mindset where they say, "I got a business, I want all my money now." Blah blah blah. blah. So then they go the route. They talk to the financial buyers, and the financial buyers like, "I'm not gonna give you what you're asking for because like, you're ready to go now and." You don't love the business, and so I don't love the business, and so I'm not going to give you what, what you. So, so then they come back and they go, "All right, how do we how do we create this win win?" Meaning like and like do do you do you see a possible option as somebody who's there to say, "Hey, first step, go hire you a man, go hire you a CEO that's going to allow us to do this with you." Like t- take take the money you have right now, hire you a CFO that's going to help you through this through this five to seven year transition. So you don't have to do the work. Like you're going to pay the CEO to do the work,
2: right? But again, you have to want to still be involved, right? Because you can't just turn it over to a CEO or an independent sponsor or whoever. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, some people will use the ESOP as a mechanism to attract that talent. Say, hey, either I want to retain these key people that I have, or I want to go find that rainmaker and use this as that mechanism. But... If they're truly done, there's no, you know, a business broker, an investment banker to sell a business is going to be able to find, let's say you're a cabinet company, they're going to be able to find another cabinet company or that's their goal Mm. to roll you up. Again, they're going to say, hey, we've got a cabinet company over here, 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 here. That's the best option as a strategic buyer to come in, buy you and take your, you know, and just put you into their umbrella. Got it. And
1: and they should get potentially a strategic buyer is probably like the better buyer for
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unless you could find an independent sponsor out there who's willing to do it like a sweat equity kind of thing. Say, hey, I'll come in and run it and buy you out, and you know, but still probably not cash up front. Yeah, yeah. Um, or PEs are doing roll-ups. Maybe they have, you know, a platform of cabinet and home improvement companies and they were looking for a cabinet person to add to their, you know, 10 other portfolio companies. So – We're not saying, and again, this goes back to the first thing I started with, you know, an Aesop is not, you know, we're not saying it's right for everyone. Mm -hmm. But when it's right, it's very, very right. Yeah, Yeah. It's the one universal buyer for any healthy, strong, large business. They do have to tend to be on the larger side. Mm-hmm. Um, employee ownership means you got to have employees. Yeah. <laughs> so we do feel like you got to have at least twenty employees.
1: You're like I got I got, yeah. I, got I got one bit. I'm just just one to me, and I yeah. want to do a knee yeah. shot.
2: Yeah, at least two. At least two. <laughs> I, I actually got. We get that call all the time. I got eight guys, and you're like. Eh um you know at least 2 million in earnings ebitda because you are going to have costs to administer the plan so they they actually tend to go for larger businesses with 100 400 800 employees publics you know austin industries td industries highland homes uh we just did structured foundation largest foundation repair company in dallas fort worth mm. perfect fit um but we don't pr- we we don't go into any conversation assuming an ESOP's right for you. We really need to understand what your goals are, and if it's not an ESOP, at least you've done your due diligence and you know how it works, and it's not for you. But why wouldn't you know? All these owners are getting lots of outside offers. Why wouldn't you at least want to know how an ESOP works so you can understand if it's the right outcome?
1: Yeah, just 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 make it an option, and, and, yeah. and that's more what I think about as a wealth manager. My job is like explore all the options. Like you know, like I, I had I had an owner. Uh, Uh, I'm going to change the details, but, um, you know, they had a strategic buyer and they were pulling down more money from the business with somebody they know, like, and trust running the business because they were, you know, so I said, don't take this because... This after taxes is not gonna give you this. So what should I do? I just keep the business for now because you are you know what I'm saying? You already not running it. You know what I mean? And you got somebody you know like in trust running it, but you know, but now they're in a situation where, yeah, I'm I, I understand Aesops more, and so I ran it back by them and I was like, you probably want to think about you know, selling to an eSOP. What's that? Uh, and so we talked about it and they're like, that's exactly what I want to do. You know what I mean? But, but, but I think it was just more just, you know,
2: not knowing it's how it works. Mm -hmm. And that's why we my whole role is just educating owners, advisors, and then they tend to find it. But I'll tell you, it's a funny story. I talked to a a roofing company and I'll try to keep it vague, but general was making $6 million a year in earnings and he was in his low forties. And at the end of the conversation, he said, this is absolutely what I want to do in like eight years. He goes, I'm I'm only 42. You know, and, I, and I said, you know, honestly, that's my question too, because when I was 42, I'm not 42. Today, <laughs> I said, I probably would just run this for another six, seven years. He goes, that's what I was thinking. And I said, yeah, you're ma- highly profitable. You're making a ton of money. So why not run it, grow it, and we'll be here in seven years. And he goes, I'll call you. He goes, thanks for the... He goes, that's all, I, you know, I appreciate you being upfront about it. I go, again... It's just based on the goal of the owners. There's a lot of them out there. They're in that five, seven year window, who are struggling with, you know, what are all these different options? This is one that gets rarely talked about, and you know where it fits. The outcomes are, are tremendous. I always joke our owners still want to talk to us after a transaction. They, we have big dinners. <laughs> <laughs> <So>, Thanking you. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it fits, it really matches their goals and uh, the structured foundation. I just talked to the owner a couple of weeks ago. He fell back in love with his company. He said, I. I Sold it to an ESOP, but now I'm working twelve hour days. Because I want to make all these people, I want to enrich their retirement plans. You know, I, I just kind of fell back in love with it as we went through the process.
1: It's, it's easy to love a company when you got some liquid money in your pocket, right?
2: I got it. I, 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 well, <laughs> I got. I, I know we're coming close to time, but I got to share with you one of my favorite people, Denise Logan. She's uh, called the uh, uh, the owner whisper, and I know I'm not saying that right, but. I talked to her one time and she said you have to think of entrepreneurs like squirrels, right? Like every morning they wake up thinking revenue earnings, revenue earnings, revenue. <laughs> they're like squirrels putting nuts into a tree, right? Like every day it's all about putting more nuts in the tree, more. And then you present them with this concept of starting to take the nuts out of the tree. And it and it's just it's foreign to them. It's it's not who they are, it's not how they're wired. And so we talked to a lot of owners and say, look, we're not telling you to take the nuts out of the tree. We're telling you to go plant more trees. Trees get hit by lightning. <laughs> so take your acorns, work with your wealth advisor, build your family office, invest in other businesses, and plant a forest. Yeah. And and then that kind of helps them get over the concept of – because they just think when they sell, like, this is my figure and I just now I got to live on that. I'm not used to that. Mm-hmm. But you can work with your wealth advisor and go out and do more things and still yeah. – you know, work in the business. So I'll leave it on I like my that. squirrel analogy.
1: I like that squirrel analogy. Let, <laughs> let everybody know how they can reach you if they want more information and education around ESOP plans.
2: Sure. Uh, you just go to our website, Lazier Capital, um, or my email, dj at Lazier or Lazier Capital Partners. I don't even know my email. I don't tell people it anymore. Okay. They're probably, they're probably <laughs> just, just yeah. Direct. My email is on the website. <laughs> okay. per- perfect. Let's Lazier up, Capital.com, I Just book. look up Doug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I'm the 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 only one there. The
1: youngest Doug on the site. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming, Doug. I appreciate you. This is super informative. We might have to have you back again one day. No,
0: absolutely. Pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, Philip.